Well, good evening and welcome to our midweek Bible study. We're grateful to have you with us. If you're here with us live, if uh, you're listening via the podcast, we're grateful to have you with us here as well. We have guests tonight that'll be joining us for our, our question and answer time in just a little bit from a variety of states. We always seem to have a majority Pennsylvania crowd. So uh, those of you listening from other states, you need to see if you could give Pennsylvania a little competition. But tonight we have Pennsylvania with us. We also have Colorado with us. We have New Hampshire and uh, we have Virginia. And so we're just grateful for our guests that are on the call this evening, joining in our discussion in just a little bit. And tonight we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 11, and we're going to go right to the end of the chapter, which is verse 24. And our primary theme tonight as we look at this portion of Scripture is this idea of loving one another and really doing this the way that Scripture teaches. And you can see a lot of detail here related to what this looks like as the Apostle John is going to describe this for us and really give us some some ideas on how this is lived out in very practical ways. Now, uh, as, as we've been talking about over the group of weeks, as we've been looking at this, I like to give this, this little bit of recap, a little bit of background each week as we, uh, as we take a look at this especially for those on the podcast who may be joining us midstream here. But just a little background on the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John was written by the Apostle John around the year A.D. 90 from the city of Ephesus. And this was before John was exiled to the island of Patmos. And when you look through this book, and we've already seen a bunch of this as we've been working our way through, but John tried to accomplish multiple things with this particular letter. And and some of the things that he tried to accomplish included helping to bolster the faith of the believers. He was also trying to correct false teaching. He was uh, trying to prevent false teachers from infiltrating the church with their false teaching. And he was trying to correct a lot of that, which was certainly a problem in that era. It's a problem during this era that we live in as well. But John was trying to confront that during that particular era. Uh, Also, throughout the course of this letter, you see John stressing a variety of concepts, and some of the concepts that he stresses include having fellowship with God, uh, the need for believers to confess our sin. That's something that we even see in the first chapter of this letter. Uh, Loving God, loving one another, and that's our theme tonight, this idea of loving one another. He also talks about knowing God personally, and throughout the course of this letter, John makes great strides or great efforts toward acknowledging Christ's divinity, to make it abundantly clear who Jesus is. And I suspect that part of the reason why he chose to do that in writing this letter was because he was confronting false teaching, and many of the false teachers one of the things that, that typically enables you to, to spy false teaching or to figure out when false teaching is right there in front of you is you, you just kind of look at what a person says about Jesus. Do they acknowledge his divinity? Do they understand that he is indeed God in the flesh? That's usually a great way that you can, that you can figure out whether or not someone is in the direction of false teaching or teaching the truth. That's certainly a big hint. And uh, that was something that the Apostle John emphasized, Christ's divinity. 
Now, in tonight's passage, the portion of Scripture that we're going to look at together this evening, uh, you have the Apostle John teaching us about the importance of genuinely loving one another with Christ-centered love. This is a message that the Apostle John was known for proclaiming. This is a message that he was known for preaching. He regularly did this. And you have John showing us the importance of this love being demonstrated as he explains the fact that this is one of the most obvious marks of genuine faith in Christ. Scripture reveals to us that that this is how people will know that we have come into contact with Jesus. This is how the world will know that we follow Christ, that we love one another. And so John goes into great detail about what that looks like, and this is a very encouraging and very helpful portion of Scripture for us to look at when we think about those subjects. So we're going to dig into that right now. And when you look at uh, verses 11 through 15 of First John chapter 3, one of the things that John stresses here in this early section of what we're looking at tonight is the fact that we have passed out of death into life. So just think about that concept. Even before I read these verses, he talks about the fact that we have, we have passed out of death into life. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, let me read verses 11 through 15 of First John chapter 3. This is what it states. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that, this, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So here you have the Apostle John talking about the fact that we have passed out of death into life, and he gives a few specific examples of what this looks like and uh, some admonitions that we're invited here to live out. So he starts off in verse 11 here by saying, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This is a central tenet to our Christian faith. This is one of the most visible and obvious ways that our genuine trust in Jesus Christ gets demonstrated. We love one another. And by the way, as John is emphasizing this idea of love, I want to make mention of something that we'll, we'll get into a little bit more in just a few minutes. But when we're talking about love here, we're not talking about this word like the world uses it. When the world uses love, when every pop song uses the word love, or when people just casually throw out the word love, they're usually talking about something that they have an emotional response to or an emotional affinity toward. So a lot of times people will be, you know, a song will come on the radio and someone will say, oh, I love that song. Or uh, someone will say, uh, you know, related to certain foods, oh, I love the taste of that food or, or, or I love that sports team or whatever it may be. Here, it's not talking about it like that. It's talking about the kind of love where we would sacrificially serve one another, even at great personal cost to ourselves, we would seek what is best for somebody else. This is the kind of love that our Lord shows us, and this is the kind of love we're invited to show one another. This is not a term that is dependent on how we feel. And again, we're going to talk about that in more detail in just a minute, but I just want to say that at the beginning here, we're talking about the idea of 
offering something to somebody that is for their benefit. You're seeking what's best for somebody else at great, sometimes at great personal cost to yourself. That's the biblical kind of love that's being mentioned here. And here we're told an example of who not to be like. Now, even before I I read this in verse 12, um, I just want you to think about your experience growing up, or if you're a parent, some of the things that you have uh, just challenged your children with. There are probably people over the course of your life that your parents told you, I don't want you to act like so-and-so, or I don't want you to copy the things that I see so-and-so doing on TV. Don't let that person be your example. There's probably people you've told your children, don't copy so-and-so because they're not somebody that's really giving you a good example. Well, here you have John who speaks to the church like a father to a child, and here he's saying to us, we should not be like Cain. And he's lumping himself into this as well. He says, we should not be like Cain. Now, who is Cain? Well, if you remember back in the earliest chapters of the book of Genesis, you have Adam and Eve, and then they have, they have multiple sons. They have Cain, they have Abel, later on they have Seth, they have other children as well. But Scripture tells us about Cain, and Cain uh, was certainly somebody who demonstrated murderous behavior right away in the earliest chapters of Scripture. But it says, we should, be, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. So here you have John saying, right, here's the example that you should not emulate. You should not be like Cain. Cain looked at the deeds of his brother Abel, and he looked at Abel's faith being lived out, and instead of embracing that, and instead of supporting that, Cain actually was jealous of that and murdered his brother. And John answers the question, why did he murder him? Well, he murdered him because Cain's own deeds were evil, and his brother's deeds were righteous. And so you could see a jealousy you can see a, a covetous response. You could see a disdain on Cain's part uh, that just, just fomented into hatred, and then that hatred resulted into murder, uh, or, or it led to murder. It's just like what Jesus tells us elsewhere in Scripture, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, where he reveals to us that if you hate somebody, that's effectively like murdering somebody in your heart, because when you... <laughs> When you foment hatred in your heart, what you're doing is you've got the seed of murder there that you're nurturing and you're feeding, and murder is is the end result of hatred that's been allowed to develop. And so we're told here that, that Cain's own deeds were evil, his brother's deeds were righteous, and Cain was jealous about it. And then John gives us kind of a broader application of this in verse 13, but he says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And what he's, what I, I see him doing here is he's equating the hatred of this world or the jealousy of this world toward you with the same kind of root problem we saw with Cain and Abel. Cain looked at Abel, and he saw Abel doing what was righteous, living out his faith. So Cain was jealous of that. He was bothered by that. The world looks at us as believers, and it hates us. In many respects, it hates us because what it sees is the righteousness of Christ on display in how we interact with one another, in how we uh, respond to circumstances. At times, this world gets jealous of the righteousness that it sees from those who follow Christ. And so John says, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 
Don't be surprised. It shouldn't be a shock because we've seen this issue from mankind's earliest days. And in verse 14, John says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So he's saying Christ has has initiated a transformation in our lives and in our mindset. And he's taken us from death to life. So Christ didn't just find us in a messed up situation. Scripture tells us we were spiritually dead. And Christ took us from death. We have passed from death into life. And we can see this because we love one another. That's shown in the response that we're giving because it's different from a worldly response. We used to have minds and hearts that were locked into spiritual death, and as a result, we would show disdain for righteousness. But John's saying, look, look at the transformation that's been sparked in you through Jesus. You have passed from death into life, and you can see that because we love one another. We love the brothers. And he says, whoever does not love abides in death. So if you struggle to love your brother or sister in Christ, that's a pretty good indicator that your heart hasn't been transformed by Christ, because a heart and a mind that's been transformed by Christ learns to love their brother and their sister in Christ. And then verse 15 says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Again, it's just echoing what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. If you hate somebody, you're effectively murdering them in your heart. And John says, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So if we have eternal life abiding within us, if we're connected with this idea of eternal life, connected with this concept of eternal life, the gift of eternal life, if, if it abides in us truly, ultimately we know that we're going to demonstrate the love of Christ to those that Christ brings into our day-to-day life. Now let's jump into uh, verses 16 through 18 of First John chapter 3, because John elaborates on this a little bit further, and, and as we said just a few moments ago, he shows us that love is an action, not merely an emotion. Again, many people treat love like it's an emotion, but love is an action. In verse 16 down to verse 18, John says it this way. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I love that portion of Scripture. It's very powerful. It's very helpful. But here, John shows us that, again, love is an action. And the greatest example of this is the work that Jesus Christ accomplished on our behalf. So he says, this is how we know love. This is, this is how we know what love truly is. The, the greatest example of this is the fact that Christ laid down his life for us. And so Jesus didn't just tell us he loved us. Jesus didn't just hint at the fact that he loved us. He experienced physical death on our behalf. And he did that for us to, as he rescued and he redeemed us. And he gives us an example of laying down our lives for one another. Now, that could certainly involve giving your life for someone in a protective way or, or uh, something of that nature. It could also be just having a sacrificial spirit toward your brothers and sisters in Christ that you would lay down sometimes, even just your preferences. I always get a kick out of when I'm doing marriage counseling, 
And uh, I bring up scriptures like this, uh, particularly I tend to target them at husbands based on what it says in Ephesians chapter 5 about the husband loving like Christ. And so I you know, a lot of times when I'm talking to husbands, they'll, they'll talk about how they can, yeah, absolutely. They envision themselves. Uh, if need be, they'd take a bullet for their wife. They would, they would give up their life for their wife. And then I like to just be a wise guy and ask questions like, well, would you let, would you let your wife select the restaurant that you guys go to uh, next Friday? Would you let your wife select what show you watch on TV? Does your wife get to pick this out or pick that out? And it's like, well, that part's a little bit of a struggle, you know, but I envision, you know, going down in a blaze of glory for my wife at some point. It's like, okay, well, what would it look like to lay down your life for your wife or lay down your life for somebody even before you get to that spot of, of physical death? I, I think sometimes there's a mindset and an attitude that Scripture wants us to, to demonstrate on a daily basis as we live our lives as a living sacrifice, not just as, as somebody that, you know, maybe in our final breath would lay down our life for somebody else. But here, John gives us another example of love in action. And he says it this way. He says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So he's saying, if you have the means to meet somebody's need, and you would look at that person in need, and your needs are met, and you don't feel concerned in the least to meet the need of somebody else, even though the Lord's blessed you with what he, what's referred to here as the world's goods, so, you know, just resources here on this earth that you're a steward of. If as a steward of those things, your heart isn't even touched to help a person in need, how could you say that God's love abides in you? Because when the Lord looks at us, he doesn't look at what he has and selfishly hold on to it. He was even willing to give his son for our benefit. And if he's willing to give his son for our benefit, how much more should we be willing to utilize the things that we've been given in this world to bring some relief and bring some help to other people who might need it. And so John's saying, little, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So let's not just be talkers. Let's be doers. Let's be people who live this out. Well, John speaks about these things a little bit further when we get into verses 19 through 22, and he transitions the thought here to our relationship with the Lord and what it looks like to have confidence before God. So let me just express it this way. Do you have confidence before God? If you were to stand in front of the Lord right here and right now, would you be confident that that, that would go well, that you could stand before him, that you could beseech him, that you could make requests of him? Here in verse 19 down to 22, John says it this way. He says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So there's a variety of things that John's talking about here that all kind of fit with this idea of the confidence that we can have before God. But again, he says here, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Well, why would our heart need some reassurance from time to time? Well, you and I know we struggle with a variety of things. And there are seasons in my life where my faith has felt very strong and seasons in my life where my faith has felt very weak. And there are times when we need some reassurance, even of things that deep down we know, 
It just helps to be reassured of these things and bring these things to the forefront of our thinking. And here he's saying sometimes our heart needs to be uh, reassured before the Lord. And he, and he says in verse 24, whenever our heart condemns us. And I think that's an interesting statement. Because I think our hearts condemn us more so than we receive condemnation from just about any other source. Now, there certainly may be people in your day-to-day life who are very condemning toward you. There certainly may be people in your life that like to bring up your greatest hits of mistakes that you've made throughout the course of your life. And at times, it's very easy for us to think back on moments that we are not that crazy about, moments that we're not that pleased with. Uh, moments that we maybe even feel ashamed about. And so our hearts at times can drift toward those moments and start thinking about those things a little too much. And we begin to condemn ourselves. We begin to think about these things a little too much, and it's not really healthy and it's not really helpful. And here John reminds us, and I love how he says it, he says, but he says, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So what does he know that we need to remember? Well, he knows what he's done about our condemnation. In fact, Scripture tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because Jesus took our condemnation upon himself. So if our hearts are still condemning us after we've come to faith in Christ, what we need is a healthy reminder, a healthy reassurance of the truth of the gospel, because that lie of condemnation that we're repeating to our hearts, it needs to be replaced with the truth. And the truth is Christ took our condemnation upon himself. And God knows this, right? The scripture tells us God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. He knows this, and we need to know this as well. And I'm thankful that his word reminds us of this truth. And then in verse 21, it says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So as we understand and apply the truth of the gospel to our hearts, and as we recognize that Christ took our condemnation upon himself and that we are no longer condemned, Scripture reminds us we have confidence before God, knowing that we have been forgiven, knowing that we've been set free. We can step right into the presence of God and, and recognize that we are welcomed there, not cast away from his presence. And here, John even talks about how this applies in regard to our prayer life. He says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And he's going to go into specific detail of what that looks like to do his commandments and please him. And here's a, here's a hint, the Lord's pleased one way, ultimately by faith. And that faith works itself out in obedience. But we're told here, whatever we ask, we receive of him. That we can ask the Lord for things, that we can come before him, that we can make requests of him. And uh, ultimately, as we walk by faith, as we trust in him, as it shows itself to be genuine, that faith showing itself to be genuine as we actually obey his instruction. We can have confidence as we come before the Lord and, and ask for whatever is needed, that the Lord hears us and he will answer us in accordance with his will. And the answer he gives us is always going to be exactly right. There's one other thing that John brings up here that's a continuation of that thought. And when you look at verses 23 and 24 of 1 John chapter 3, we're basically being asked to kind of wrestle with this idea, all right, well, what have we been commanded to do? Because if you look at the previous verse there, if you look at verse 22, it says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. All right, so what have we been commanded to do? What does it mean to keep his 
commandments. And why did I emphasize faith when I was saying this idea of keeping his commandments? What what connection is there to keeping the commandments and faith? Well, when you look at verse 23, it answers that. It says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So it's fascinating to look at that because it it really simplifies what the Lord's revealed in his word, that we believe in Jesus Christ and that we love one another. So if I believe in Jesus Christ, I'm going to honor the Lord in my life. And if I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm not going to murder them. I'm not going to steal from them. I'm not going to sin against them. These summary statements that you see like this here in, in 1 John 3.23 really sum up the nature of the other commandments in Scripture, that we believe in Jesus Christ and that we love one another. So what does the Lord expect of us? What does he desire from us? What have we been commanded to do? Again, John says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. And then he finishes this sentence, or this, uh, this section, by saying this. He says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. One of the benefits and blessings that we have as followers of Christ who genuinely trust in him is the fact that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, lives within us. And the Holy Spirit testifies to the truth of the gospel. He testifies to the truth of Scripture. He reminds us of the very things that Jesus taught, the very things communicated in Scripture. And he testifies within us that we, child, that we are children of God, that we belong to the Lord, that we uh, are known by God, that we are part of his family. He says, and this is, I, I, again, I'll read it the way he says it, but he says, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So the Holy Spirit testifies to the fact that God lives within all believers. And that's a wonderful thing, and it's a powerful thing. And um, and we're going to discuss these, these concepts together in just a moment when I uh, open up our gallery here and we uh, kind of open up with some discussion here in just a moment. A couple quick things before we transition to discussion. First of all, I just want to let you know on June 1st, we're going to be talking about 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, where it talks about this idea of testing the spirits. So if you want to read ahead, Please read ahead, but join us if you're able on June 1st at this same time, 8 o'clock Eastern, where we're going to be talking about testing the spirits from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And also, and if, if you'll forgive me for doing a little bit of a book plug here, but I'm going to do it anyway, the book release, so my latest book is coming out. May 25th. So as I'm recording this right now, that's a week from now. So it'll probably be a little bit less than a week when those of you that are listening to this recording get to hear it. But if you're in Barnes and Noble, if you're shopping on Amazon, if you're at Target, if you're at Walmart, and you happen to see a copy, do me a favor and take a picture of yourself with the book and uh, email that over to me at John at desirejesus.com, and uh, maybe we'll post some of those pictures up on, on social media. But again, the book is called Dwell on These Things. It's a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you. I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity uh, to release this book. Uh, this is unlike anything that I have had the opportunity to write before. 
this is something that's being published far and wide, so I'm really, really grateful for the open door that the Lord's given for this to, hopefully, by His grace, and I hope you'll pray with me, that this falls into the hands of people who need to read it. Uh, That's certainly my desire. I was speaking to somebody earlier this morning who openly said to me, he said he is not a follower of Christ, but he's reading the book. He has an advanced copy. And he said to me, his exact comment was that this is something that he can sense that God is using to open his eyes to things of faith that up to this point he really hasn't been open to. And uh, so I'm really grateful to hear that. So again, if you pick up a copy of it, again, it's called Dwell on These Things. But even if you see it out there, just take a picture of yourself with it and um, be sure to send it to me, john at desirejesus.com. And we'll be sure to to share that on our social media just to celebrate the book release, which is on May 25th. So now I'm going to stop the the screen share here, and I'm going to bring up our gallery on the screen, and we'll see who again we have with us. All right, so we have Paul, and we have Kathy and Wendell and Julia, and we have Ian and Renee and Don and Andrea and Tim. And so uh, those of you listening on the podcast, you can't see our crowd here, but we have a, we have a fun crowd on uh, Tuesday nights for our Bible study here. I really like this group. And uh, I have a starter question here. And so typically Don Kaler breaks the ice for us. So Don, I don't know if you're going to keep up your streak of doing that tonight or if someone's going to beat you to the punch, but I'll ask the question here to get us started. And this is based on verses 11 through 15 of 1 John chapter 3. Um but here, you know, John talks about this idea of, of how do we know we have passed from death to life? How do we know? Like, what does the Scripture tell us? Like, what does it show us? How, how do you know that you've actually passed from death to life? What do you guys think? Go for it, Don. Well, the Scripture talks about when we, when we, when we love, uh, that love is going from death to life. And I know... That's certainly true in my life. Um, I really didn't start living until I started to learn how to love, like, you know, like, like uh, God loves me. Uh, That was the first relationship, I think. And I was, uh, I wasn't a spring chicken when that happened. And I had uh, lived a lot of years thinking I knew all about love, you know, I mean, I was the gangster in love. (laughs) <laughs> Some people called me Maurice, but uh, I knew nothing about real love and unconditional love and the love that John's referring to in the scripture. So for me, that's when I that's when I really started living, living the life that uh, I know God has called me to live. Yeah, and that's exactly what John says. You know, he's saying this is this is what indicates that you have actually passed from death to life because you find yourself loving the brothers. And what he's saying here is you, you love the church, you love your your family uh, in in Christ. And uh, I'll tell you what, <laughs> you know, I think all of us know that sometimes family can be the hardest to love. Because when, when you think about it, the people that I surround myself with in my friend group, I got to pick them. <laughs> I picked them, you know, and my friends are all, I mean, I have friends are quite different from me, actually, in some respects, but we all get along very easily, right? And people don't tend to end up in your friend group or my friend group if you don't like spending time together, but you don't get to pick your family. And I have some family members that have very different preferences and very different personalities, and some have a very different worldview from what I have. And yet scripture tells me I'm to love my family. So of course I'm going to love my family. My wife and I often joke, um, you know, that we have four children, 
They've grown up with the same two parents in the same household, eating the same food, you know, you know, going the same place on vacation, doing all the same things. And would you believe that some of my children have different opinions on different things than me? Can you imagine the nerve? <laughs> right. How are they allowed to have different opinions? But here, you know, I think when John's talking about this idea of that you love the brothers, he's talking about the fact that you love your family in Christ. Well, guess what? You didn't get to pick your family. Jesus picked them. He picked them. You didn't get to pick them. But you can see that you've passed from death to life if you can still love them, even if they're different from you, or even if they have different ideas on certain secondary things, or even if uh, they have personality quirks that sometimes you find off-putting. Can you still love them? Well, according to this portion of Scripture, it's and and again, love, we're not talking about emotion here. We're talking about actively seeking what's best for somebody else. So would you put yourself out there to actively seek what's best for someone who maybe doesn't always rub you the right way? You know what I mean? Like somebody who could irritate you just by personality or whatever it may be. John's saying it's a mark of genuinely believing. So how how is that a contrast to what we see uh, in relation to Cain's treatment of Abel? Because John brought that up as the example. He says, don't go down this road, right? And he gave us the example of Cain and Abel. So how is the love that we're showing for our family in Christ, how is that different from what was demonstrated between Cain and Abel? Anyone want to take a shot at that one? Yeah, Paul, go ahead. Uh, Well, first of all, I want to ask how I'm supposed to take a picture of me holding your book in Amazon. Yeah, I guess you maybe have to have your uh, computer behind you. (laughs) I don't know how that one works. Maybe just if you end up picking up a copy, take a picture of yourself with the copy. If you buy a Kindle copy, I don't know. I I have no solution. Try to do a screenshot with an embedded photo, right? (laughs) I guess I didn't think that that encouragement all the way through, Paul. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, um, I think you you had mentioned it uh, just moments ago, but... uh, the Cain and Abel, uh, Cain killed Abel because Cain was all into himself. Mm-hmm. And he didn't appreciate the fact that God didn't like uh, the portion that, that he gave and favored his brother. And uh, uh, narcissism can do that kind of stuff to you. Oh, yeah. So uh, you, you mentioned it earlier, but if, if you're all into yourself, then you're, you're, you're certainly not going to love others. Uh, or at least it won't be a pure love. So, so yeah, loving, loving others. Uh, I think uh, it also, scripture also says, dead to sin and alive in Christ. Mm-hmm. And for me, uh, you know, you, you're never perfect, but it's an amazing, once I committed my life to God, uh, it was amazing, uh, the, 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 you know, that you can actually, uh, you, you can begin to distinguish sin uh, uh, from, from good and, uh, uh, and, and, uh, proper love from, uh, self-centered love. So, yeah, it's a, the Lord changes your heart and he gives you his eyes. You know, you, you find yourself, you see things with his eyes, right? You know, I think that's what you're describing there, Paul. You could, you could, you could see the transformation that he's facilitated within us. But, and by the way, does anyone, um, you know, when John also says in that portion of Scripture, the idea of, you know, this is why the world hates us, or, you know, don't be shocked when the world hates you, right? I mean, can you see how that works out? You know, that same murderous spirit that you see in Cain toward Abel, 
Um, do you, do you find yourself, I, I don't know if you've ever really been on the receiving end of that kind of disdain or, or not, but sometimes it just even comes out in forms of mockery. Um, should it surprise us if those that don't share our faith kind of look at us, you know, with uh, a, a certain amount of disdain, especially after what we've already seen with Cain and Abel? I guess it shouldn't be a surprise, right? What do you think, Ian? Uh, so to go off of what Paul was saying, uh, I think it's a ministry of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. uh, that uh, allows us to recognize the sin and good and evil. And in the same vein, um, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Uh, so even unbelievers can recognize sin. Uh, and because of that, well, they may not accept Christ, but they will have animosity towards somebody uh, who is a believer who uh, represents a contrast between uh, right and wrong. Yeah, yeah, because your your life is almost like a confrontation in a way, or a reminder of something that maybe someone doesn't necessarily want to think about. And you brought up the scripture, you know, it says that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of three things, right? Sin being one of them. Scripture also tells us he uh, convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment sin, righteousness, and judgment. So just think about that as like a a triumvirate of things that the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of. And even for us as believers, I mean, the Holy Spirit, He convicts me of of sin, righteousness, and judgment in the sense that he, He points me to Him as a solution. But isn't it interesting to have the Holy Spirit working on us from within, and then the unbelieving world still at this point has the benefit of the Holy Spirit working on them from the outside, And Scripture also makes it clear that the Holy Spirit, um, that He reveals things to people, and He softens people's hearts, and He prepares people to receive Christ. And so, just a fascinating thing that we could see the Spirit of God accomplishing in this world. Um, How how about this? When we were looking at verses 16 through 18, um, there you have the Apostle John talking about the fact that Christ laid down his life for us, that this is the ultimate demonstration of love. There is no greater example of that, right? And so, and and that's why we're emphasizing tonight the fact that as we're talking about love, we're not just talking about emotional feelings. We're talking about action that gets taken. And uh, so we want to be very clear about that when we look at a portion of Scripture like this, because it's easy to get that jumbled in our minds. But I'm just wondering, just in a practical way for us as believers, can anyone give an example maybe from your own life where the Lord has been teaching you a way for you to lay down your life for others? You know, maybe just an area where you're laying down your preference for somebody else or or you're laying down your time or, or that you're making some area of sacrifice or whatever it may be for the benefit of somebody else. How does it look like uh, just on a daily basis in your life for you to lay down your life for others? Anyone have any good examples of that? Yeah, Ian, go ahead. I think on a very basic level, um, being a new parent teaches you about God's unconditional love and uh, self-sacrifice in a whole new dimension. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. I mean, the, I know that the two of you guys—you have two beautiful young children—and um, you know, I I know that they bring a lot of joy to you. But 
the 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 fact that, so Ian and Renee are, are are part of the church that I have the privilege to lead but uh, we have an in-person Bible study on Wednesday nights and we have an online Bible study on Tuesday nights here and Ian and Renee have two little ones that they have to put to bed on uh, you know it's not really practical for you to even get out of a house when you have two little ones you know so that's why we get the the privilege of being able to see them here on the calls uh, because your life, it really doesn't center around what you feel like doing at this point. It's, it's you taking care of those little ones. So yeah, that's definitely a way that you get to lay down your life for others. It's definitely a, a very important example. Any other ways that you could think of where you just the Lord says, hey, lay down your life for this person this way? Yeah, uh, Julia, I think you had your hand up first. Um, I think kind of having a heart of like looking for people's needs sometimes too. So for example, I'm thinking of work situations where, um, you know, you kind of get to know your work partners a little bit. Um, and then if you notice something about somebody that you can, you know, if, if it's appropriate that you could offer to pray with them or even just um, like one thing that I did for uh, some people that I worked with, I went to Israel in uh, December, 2018 Oh, wow. And, and I just had in my heart, I want to buy the, uh, these scarves for the women that I work with. And so I bought like different patterns and everything and I gave it to them and I did it kind of like before they came to the office. And, and I just put a note that like, this is a gift from me for you from Israel. And each of them, um, you know, we all had different relations. I had different relationships with each one of them. But each of them had this, this, they all knew I was a Christian. Um, they all had like this uh, reaction that was so, so positive. And so, and, you know, I knew that God placed that on my heart, but the reaction that I got back, it like confirmed to me that God wanted me to do that. And, you know, it strengthened our friendship, but it also was like, like something like a seed. I felt like it was like a seed, like this is not really just about like, Hey, I got you a gift. Like I did want them to uh, see that, you know, it's like, it's from Israel and it's something for you. And, you know, like from that, some of, some of the friends that friendships became deeper as far as spiritually and others did not. Um, but even that, you know, like, cause God will do that for you is like, he'll just place certain things in your spirit. And if you obey, like we were talking about obedience earlier, um, if you obey, it's amazing that how, like what the response is. And then just that love kind of like recycled back to me because they, they showed me a lot of love and appreciation for even, for even thinking of them being so far away on, you know, on a vacation. I love it. I love it. That's a great example and a, a great way. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking about how has the Lord placed us as believers who serve in different professions? How do we get to be ambassadors of Christ where he has allowed us to serve, right? Because he put you in your workplace. He's put the others on this call. We all serve in different areas and different fields and different realms where we get to be the fragrance of Christ, ambassadors of Christ. And so in that, in that idea, you know, that you lay down some of your thinking and some of your, um, um, some of your time and, and just emotional energy to serve those that the Lord allowed you to work with and it communicated love to them. That's a great example. And Don, you had your hand up too. Do you remember what you're going to say? Yeah, I was. Just, I, I I agree with what I already heard, and I was thinking, 
in in all this uh, be, before the children you give give up your life when you're married to your spouse and uh and even as a child you could see little children their life is all about their parents now when they get a little bit older that changes a little bit but then uh I know some folks in our congregation who have very elderly parents and now they're taking care of the elderly parents. So that's the children now, uh, you know, showing their love by giving their, giving their life up, you know, their freedom and the sacrifice. And uh, if we're in leadership in a church family, uh, when you're in recovery, you keep what you have by giving it away. So, Almost every aspect, if we're doing things the way God calls us to do, we're doing and we're trying to be right like Jesus, who poured out his life for all of us. So it should be everywhere when we give up our seat on the bus, when we let the person go, seems to be in a big hurry. Anything we're doing outside of our selfish, you know, me, me, me and do it my way, we are actually you know, giving up our life. And I really like the whole taking a bullet thing, but I think that's kind of easy. We want to be that, you know, uh, Audie Murphy, you know what I mean? Storm in the hill to, to save the platoon. But uh, yeah, that maybe I could see doing that, but then letting somebody come out in front of me on the Harley, that's a little bit harder to do. And, uh, <laughs> but I think that's all part of, uh, of giving up our life, giving up our selfish desires for other people's needs. And whether you're a child, a parent, husband and wife, church family, it all kind of ties into all of those relationships. I, I have seen Don's Harley, by the way. I've seen that Harley. You still have the same one? Yeah, but it's in the, been in the shop for two months now, and it's real hard for me to, <laughs> to love the mechanic that's working on. But I know I'll get it back someday, hopefully before I go home to see the Lord. <laughs> I have seen that. He used to drive that up to uh, the School of Theology where I teach at. He would drive all the way across the state. So he'd be uh, five hours plus on that Harley driving across. And he didn't seem sad when uh, when he had to do it. So that, that was fun. The last time I went to the School of Theology, John, there was a monsoon from, <laughs> from the time I hit Wilkes-Barre till I got that. I would have been better on a jet ski on that road going <laughs> to the camp. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> Um, when, when you look at verses 19 through 22, you have the Apostle John bringing up something that I think is, I mean, his phraseology here is very interesting, where he talks about this idea of our hearts condemning us. And I think that's a really practical portion of Scripture, probably for us, no matter where we are in our walk with the Lord, because there are times that I have to admit that that I go through seasons where I'm very condemning of myself, you know, or where your thoughts kind of get away from you and you think back to that highlight reel of all the mistakes you've ever made or or all the things that you've said that you wish you could take back or just moments that you wish you could re relive. And you think, oh, boy, if I could go back in time and do that one over, I'd do that over knowing what I know now. And then you get into this condemnation spiral right in our own minds. And, and I think that it's interesting that he brings that up because I would suspect that John wrestled with that. Um, when you look at some of the Apostle Paul's writings, Paul pretty openly references the fact that he wrestled with that. So uh, how do you, you know, so one of the things that we were, when we were looking at that passage a few minutes ago, I mentioned the fact that, that I truly believe Jesus is the solution for that condemnation. 
And I, I wonder if anyone would elaborate, uh, if, if you agree with me on that, uh, how is Jesus the solution for this? And, and how does that relate to us even having confidence before God in prayer? What do you think? How is Jesus the solution for our hearts dealing with this self-condemnation? Yeah, Julia, go ahead. Um, I think part of it is that Jesus forgave us before we even committed the sins. Um, and it says he, he forgave, you know, those before and after him. Um, and so part of it, I feel like I kind of struggle with this because sometimes I think that people take advantage of the thought of like, well, just commit the sin because you'll be forgiven. Yeah. And I've seen that lived out a lot and I don't like that mm-hmm. <laughs> when I see that. So I tend to, um, you know, I tend to lean that way where I feel like more people kind of take advantage of it in that way, um, based on what I've seen. But for those that like feel condemned, I think that, you know, or there is that thing of confession. I think Mm -hmm. that when you confess uh, sincerely to the Lord, like you can feel that drop off of you, you know, because you, because you go through kind of the, the process of like, recognizing like what did you do acknowledging it and so forth and i think that's a big missing part of where maybe people still continue to feel condemned inside because they didn't really confess it they just did it and just said i'm sorry <laughs> knowing that they're forgiven but i mean we can't um trick the lord <laughs> right no so, you, you know <laughs> yeah so when we've committed a sin i think for when you're sincere and you confess it i think there is that i think you know, God does confirm once again and release that from your spirit. And then if you're doing it in an un, you know, not genuine manner, I think it probably does stick with you. Yeah. If, if, you know, repentance isn't really part of this here, you know, you're, it's kind of hard to imagine your conscience not being troubled if genuine repentance hasn't taken place. But isn't it nice you know, to just be, I mean, there's so much benefit Christ brings to our life, including the fact that we were dead and he made us alive in him, right? But even just thinking about the nature of what we've been forgiven of and the fact that Christ was willing to take our condemnation upon himself. I mean, how many of us feel super eager to take somebody else's blame? We feel like we have so much of our own blame, right? It's like the last thing you you want to do is be blamed for something somebody else did. And I'm just amazed that Jesus took the blame for what I did upon himself. He took the blame for what you did upon himself. And um, if I believe that's true, I don't need to spend the bulk of my my Christian life condemning myself of something I've already confessed, something I've already repented of, something that Christ has already forgiven me of, something I've just given over to him. I need to let it be with him and then walk as a new man in Christ so that I don't... uh, ultimately let my mind dwell on things that that really aren't of this season. Um, last thing that, that we'll talk about, we'll finish up here, um, but when you look at verses 23 and 24, we're given a command in that passage, and uh, it's a twofold command, but it's a very practical command, and I mentioned earlier that it, that it summarizes the, the, the bulk of, of what Scripture tells us is, is you know, expected of us. What, what's that command? What are we told to do? What does that scripture tell us? You know, when you look at verses 23 and 24 specifically, 
What are we commanded to do? Yeah, Paul. Well, believe in the name of Jesus and love one another. Yeah. Here's here's a question. All right, let's hear it. Well, we always we we have faith. We believe Jesus to be the Son of God, but what does it mean to believe in the name of Jesus? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to believe in the name? And I there there's an answer to that, but mm-hmm. I'm just curious. Yeah. So, do you want me to answer it, or do you have the yeah, answer? Go ahead. Go ahead. So when so when you're looking at a when Scripture is talking about this idea of a person's name, it's talking about who they are. It's talking about their authority. You know, it's talking about their power, right? So if somebody has, you know, when Scripture is referencing this idea of the name of Christ, you know, it's talking about who he is in his essence, what he's able to accomplish uh, in his in his role as as Messiah, in his role as Christ, in his role as Lord. And uh, ultimately, it's the idea of, you know, a big part of it is the idea that I, that if I'm acknowledging him as Lord, that I would submit myself over to him, and uh, that, that ultimately I would be resting in his power to accomplish what only he can accomplish. So that's part of it, at least. I, I, do you have anything additional? Well, that, no, actually, I think, that, that, I think you're spot on. Because if we remember the story of Peter uh, at the Golden Gate when he meets the beggar and uh, he's, he's asking for alms and, and Peter says, you know, alms I don't have to give you, but what I have to give you, I give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and stand up and walk. Mm-hmm. And uh, the power of the name is, is undeniable, but that, but, it won't. It doesn't happen unless the faith is there. Peter couldn't have had uh, the faith, the, the ability to say what he did, and the the beggar to be able to stand as he did, if they didn't have, if 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 Peter didn't have faith in the power of the name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's significant. It says that that way on purpose too. So I think it's right to emphasize that, and it's good that you emphasize that. And it, I, but, but I love what it says there, right? To believe in the name of Jesus Christ, and love one another. So it's kind of like, what does this look like on a day-to-day basis for us? You know, as followers of Christ, what does it look like for you and for me to go through life genuinely believing in the name of Jesus Christ and genuinely loving one another? Sometimes we overcomplicate the mission, don't we? Sometimes we overcomplicate this, you know? I mean, some, sometimes we think, like, we, we add 37 things to this checklist. And uh, really, I mean, you, you can accomplish a lot if those things are in order. You know, if, if your trust in Jesus Christ is strong and your love for one another is sincere, that covers a lot of area. And Scripture even says, you know, it covers a multitude of sin. You know, the idea that love covers a multitude of sin. You can overlook things quite easily when you love somebody. It's very easy to hold a grudge when you don't genuinely love somebody. But if you love somebody, you could say, you know what? I goof up in that area too. No worries. No worries. You know, even while we were on the call here, um, I won't give the details of this text, but I could see my phone light up next to me. And it actually lit up with an apology from somebody. Um, 
someone that I'm friends with that was joking with me about something. He apologized to me about something he was teasing me for. Now, here's the thing. What he was teasing me for was actually hilarious and didn't bother me in the least. But I guess like in retrospect, he's thinking that maybe it bothered me. But let's say it did bother me. The guy that said this to me, I love this guy. Like this guy's one of my favorite people on earth. So even if it did bother me, I I can promise you because I genuinely love him in the Lord, I'm certain I'd be able to overlook it. (laughs) You know, I'm certain I'd be able to overlook it because I I, I think, you know what, love covers a multitude of sins. And the truth is, like, in this case, he didn't even sin against me. He was just trying to be funny. And he was funny. He succeeded. Uh, But the the point being, but even even that, like, I even just appreciated my phone lighting up and, and showing me this from him because... What's he doing? You know, this is another brother in Christ demonstrating love toward me, thinking, oh, wait, was my joke too far? Was I joking too far? Should I have not said that? Let me make sure that I didn't actually hurt John's feelings. You know, someone wouldn't send you that kind of text if they didn't actually care for you. And so sometimes, you know, loving one another could be simple as an apology text if you feel like you took a joke too far or whatever it may be. Uh, Any, um, any final thoughts on that just in your life, this idea of, of trusting in the name of Christ and loving one another and how this has lived out? Any final thoughts before we finish up? Yeah, Julia. I just think that there's this hymn called Trust and Obey. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know it, but I used to sing that growing up and um, it's always just kind of stayed with me. And you know how you said we can complicate things and it's just so true that, you know, you trust and you obey and the Holy Spirit does really guide you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that and that's uh, that's a song I remember us. Uh, I, I remember learning that one when I was just a child. That was that was one that stayed in regular rotation in our church as well. Lovely. Well, excellent feedback, excellent conversation tonight, and uh, so glad to have you guys on the the call with us again. Our next one will be June first, and we'll be talking about testing the spirits. So I'd actually encourage you, if you get a chance to read ahead into First John chapter 4, we're going to look at just the first six verses next time and talk about what does it mean to test the spirits. It's something that's brought up in that portion of Scripture, and it's not necessarily a common phrase. So uh, we'll talk about that, talk about what it means in two weeks. Again, if you're listening on the podcast, we'd invite you to join us. That'll be June 1st at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And if you'd like some more information, about our Bible study topics, or if you would like the link to be able to join us for one of these Bible studies live, just go to desirejesus.com slash Bible study, and you'll be able to find the link to join us right there. Well, for our guests from Pennsylvania and New Hampshire and, let's see, Virginia and Colorado, thank you guys for joining our call live tonight, and we look forward to getting together again really soon. Have a great evening, everyone. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.